And um, Children's Church is dismissed. They will go out to um, enjoy some time just for them at their age group. All right. Changing hats here. We had a professor at Bible College who um, often was an interim pastor, and we would, we would meet every Monday, Wednesday, Friday for regular class, and then we had this thing called discussion group, okay? And um, in discussion group, Doc Carter, amazing professor, brilliant mind, um, Doc Carter would, would just pour his heart out to us as students, uh, and from time to time he would say, now I'm going to change my hat. I'm, t- I'm taking off my professor hat, and I'm putting on my pastor's hat, and he would just, he would just talk to us as, uh, this is what you should do as a pastor, or this is you know, the kinds of things that you need to be aware of, loving on your congregation and those kinds of things. So I'm taking off the hat that I don't wear so well, and that's the song leader hat, and I'm putting on my preaching hat, and uh, hopefully that's more of a, a fit for me than the singing is. But anyway, we're going to open God's Word together. We're going back to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to finish what we started last week. Um, we started looking at our great riches and Christ. And part of those riches we just got done singing about, right? His robes for mine. We, we talked and we sang about some pretty amazing um, theological truths and words in there. Propitiation, vicarious uh, work of Christ, and so many other things that Christ gave to us when he took my sin and your sins, the sins of mankind, upon himself. In our place, he bore our sins. And as he bore our sins, he, he stood condemned before God. He took the punishment, that he bore the wrath of God that we could never bear. Now, sometimes we realize and we understand that we can't bear the penalty of sin, the wages of sin, right? Um, but do you understand that we could never, ever, ever, even if we gave our entire life completely as a sacrifice We could never pay or satisfy the righteous demands of God. Not possible. So God in his wisdom in eternity past, before he even created mankind, he knew that he he would create mankind and he knew that because he gave mankind the opportunity to choose, that mankind would choose to sin against him, to rebel against him, to snub them in the face, if you will, to snub their nose at God and say, I want to do it my way, even though he knew all of that, he planned for his son to go to the cross. And when he went to that cross, he would die on that cross and and, and experience all the agonies of death and the beatings and all of that. And, And as he hung on the cross, being the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, he could take my sin. You understand that God didn't turn a blind eye to sin. When God gave us salvation, he didn't just excuse it away. Sometimes as we raise our children, we, we, we don't discipline them as we ought. And we just say, I'm going to let them, and we probably don't think of this directly, but I'm just going to let them get away with that one because it wasn't that bad. You know, there's all kinds of things that we can say about that. It sends mixed messages. It's difficult for the children then to understand what is right and what is wrong, all that kind of stuff. But you know what? God isn't like that. He says, well, maybe it would be nice. No, because God is just. God is holy. God is righteous. God cannot turn a blind eye to sin. And when he granted to us salvation through his son because of the work on the cross of Calvary, he wasn't just excusing our sins away. He wasn't sweeping the dirt under the carpet, if you will. He was dealing with sin fully and completely. So when we sing that song, His Robes for Mine, man, it ought to remind us of how blessed we are because of what Christ accomplished. So we're going to continue our study in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, um, and we are going to continue looking about our riches because of Christ. 
We have no righteousness in and of ourselves. Any good that we do is only done because of the work of Christ or the resemblance that we have because we as mankind, and this is true of every person, was made in the image of God. So if there's a good that we do as an unbeliever, it's not because you're good, it's because of the image of God in which you were created. So here we go, looking now at Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're going we're gonna to actually stand together and read it this morning. I think it is there. Uh, we didn't have it there last week. I read for us. But we're going to stand together and read. Read that again like I always encourage you with enthusiasm, with passion, with joy, um, with, with just a heart that is full of gratitude as we continue to discover the things that God has done on our behalf. Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, read together with me. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And all God's people said, Hallelujah, Amen, to God be the glory. Man, is there good stuff in that passage of Scripture or what? There's some pretty amazing stuff. Let's pray and thank God for it, and then we'll jump back into our study of these riches because of Christ. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you with hearts that are full. Um, reading that passage of Scripture should bring great encouragement and hope and joy and comfort to our minds, our hearts, our very being. Lord, we, we were sinners that were separated from you and on our way to a Christless eternity in a place that you created for the devil and his angels, a place called hell. That's where we were headed and we deserved to go there. But because of what you did through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary, a plan that you had in place in eternity past, you chose us, you redeemed us, you sealed us, you have promised us now an inheritance that awaits us in heaven, and that's an incorruptible inheritance, and wow, how amazing you are. When we sing that song, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, there is so much truth in reminding us and realizing all that you have done for us. It truly is amazing, and we do stand in awe of who you are for all that you have done and all that you continue to do in and through us. Father, we ask that you would bless our time this morning as we open your word together and we study it and we learn from it. May it make an impact on our lives. May it make us uh, more like our Savior, your Son, 
who died in our place. So Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we're going to quickly look through what we studied last week, and then when we get to uh, the second part, we're going to pick up uh, some new stuff that we haven't looked at yet in our study in Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. So first of all, we saw that Paul presented the book, and the purpose of the book was to remind the church that they are the body of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean just the, the church in Ephesus or the churches in Ephesus. You do understand that when Paul wrote letters to the Ephesians, it wasn't probably wasn't just to one church in Ephesus. It was probably to several churches that had started. Um, and so they passed that letter from church to church, and they read it, and, and people memorized parts of it or as much as they could. Uh, so he wrote to the people in Ephesus. Ephesus, and he wanted them to know that they are part of the body of Christ. And you know what? Every Bible-believing church that has existed from that from the from the day of Pentecost till to now till now is part of the body of Christ. We call that the universal church. And you know what? God is the one who keeps the books on the universal church. Amanda keeps the books here at Calvary Baptist Church, and she uh, lets us know, uh, in fact, just at our last deacons meeting, she gave us a list of all the members of Calvary Baptist Church. So we would just be aware and, and, and know, um, and she keeps track of all of that. And as much as we try, sometimes there are people who brought, are brought into the membership of Calvary Baptist Church that don't know Jesus as their Savior. Because we're only men, we see the outside, we don't see the heart, um, we judge the fruit, we try to do the best we can when we welcome people into membership, but sometimes there are people who are not saved that become members of a local church. But not so in God's church, not so in the universal church, because God knows the hearts. He knows every time the Holy Spirit places an individual into the body of Christ, and that person doesn't get placed there by mistake. They truly are saints. So if you're sitting here this morning as part of Calvary Baptist Church or some other local fellowship and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I can call you a saint. And you say, well, Pastor, you don't really know me that well. And I, and I tell you, I mean, you know from the stories I tell when I was growing up. I certainly didn't act like a saint when I was growing up, right? And I know that many of you didn't. Some of you were saved later in life, or some of you were saved and then walked away from the, the goodness of God and did your own thing for a while. And the things that you did don't have saint ringing aloud from them. But you know what? Because Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, and because he purchased our redemption, and because when we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, that's a once-for-all thing, and if our profession of faith was genuine, that we are saved regardless of what we do. Now, I'm not giving you an excuse to go out and live a sinful life, because if you're truly saved, that's not going to be your desire. Your desire is going to be live for the Lord. And, and, and when you do walk away from the Lord, you know your heart is pricked by the, by the Holy Spirit who, who acts as even more than our conscience to convict us of our sins. But saints we are! Because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. The Christian life, I reminded you last week, last week breaks down into two parts. There's doctrine and there's walk. The doctrine, the doctrine speaks of our position in Christ, the riches that are ours, and then the walk is the practical section that deals with our sanctification and how we become more like Jesus Christ. Our walk, the way we do life, the old King James used to call it our conversation, our manner of living should be a representation of the fact that we know Jesus as our Savior. When people see us do what we do, they should see us doing things that remind them or make them think of Jesus Christ. So he wrote to the saints who were in Ephesus. And, and the, who were these saints? Well, we looked at them last week and we saw the people who received the book. The saints are those who know Christ as their Savior, those who are in the body of Christ. The Ephesian believers also set a standard or an example for all believers we reminded ourselves that these Ephesian believers and these truths should be found in our lives as well. The Ephesian believers, they labored hard for the cause of Christ. They didn't sit back and, uh, and, and take it easy. They weren't there for a free ride. They were serving the Lord and they were serving Him well and serving Him hard. They were long-suffering or they were patient 
okay? You and I, we, we must be patient with one another. Um, I understand that sometimes I'm not as patient as I could be. My wife knows that. And other people who spend a lot of time with me know that I, I'm not as patient as I could be. But truth be told, that's probably true of most of us. We could all be a little more patient with one another. Um, we know that there's a passage of Scripture that says that we need to be, um, let, our, let our speech be seasoned with grace. So in other words, the things we say should be gracious things to other people. But I like to encourage people along the same lines or similar lines that we need to be gracious hearers as well. We don't need to take offense every time somebody says something that we might think is the wrong thing. Because I can tell you, I say a lot of things from this pulpit, and sometimes I say something and I think I've said something different, and my wife says, do you know what you said this morning? And she'll tell me what I said, and I'll, I didn't say that. And she'll say, yes, you did. And now we live in a world where it's all recorded, right? And so she says, just go back and listen to it. And sure enough, I said it. I didn't think I said it. That's not what I meant to say. But those words came out of my mouth. And I look back and I go, wow, I, I, that's not what I meant to say. And so sometimes I'll come back Sunday night or the next week and say, you know, I said this and I didn't mean to say that. You know, so sometimes we say things in a, in a way that's not meant to be hurtful or, or not ungracious, but a person takes it as a hurtful thing. So I say to you, we need to not only be gracious speakers, but we also need to be gracious hearers. And if something offends you, don't let it, don't stew on it. Don't say, boy, did you hear what they said? Go to them and say, hey, do you know that you, I did? And they might say, I didn't say that. They say, okay, you, you might not think you said it, and maybe you didn't, but this is the way I heard it, so can we just clear the air? Can we make sure that everything's good and we don't have a problem with one another? Long-suffering, patient people. That should be a mark of the children of God and, and those who live in the body of Christ. We also see that these Ephesian believers, these saints, loathed what was evil. They hated that which was evil. And, and like another good example for us, sometimes we get very comfortable with what is evil. And sometimes that comfortableness is seen in the words we say, the, the things that come out of our mouth. You know, the Bible says, let no profane communication come out of your mouth. What do you mean by profane, pastor? Well, curse words, swear words, um, a dirty joke, whatever. Those things don't come out of the mouth. They, they never came out of Jesus' mouth, right? So if you, if you say something, can you then turn around and picture Jesus saying that? And if we said it, then we should confess it and strive to move on for it. And it's not an easy habit to break. <laughs> and it starts young, believe me. You know, it, you got to be careful. You got to, you know, and, and, and sometimes we speak words that, you know, don't, it, it's not specifically a bad thing to say or a bad word, but it's a substitute for a bad word. Not that much different. Okay, so we, not, we, want to be, we want to loathe what is evil and not be involved and not participate in it and not, not let it be a characteristic that is found in our lives. And then they literally investigated what their teachers taught to them. You know, Paul comes in and he starts teaching them and you know what? They checked him out. They wanted to make sure that what he said was true and right. So they literally investigated the teachers and that's why... You know, I, I said this before, the people who stand behind this pulpit are, is not just going to be any person, okay? It's going to be somebody that I or the deacons or the leadership of this church know um, or, and, and trust, or like when we host the conference, um, you know, we, I told Brian King, because the last couple times we've hosted conferences, we've hosted Friends of Israel, and I have no problem with Friends of Israel, they do an amazing ministry, but the, the last speaker... He was speaking up here, okay? And, and a lot of people who are in our church and, and other churches didn't get what he was saying. He's, he used to be the seminary dean at, at Clark Summit University. So he was like way over everybody's head. And the last guy, he, was, he told us what was going on through the ministries of Friends of Israel. But he didn't really say, okay, let's take our Bibles and open to this passage and let's dig in. So I told Brian, I says, listen, we're happy to host the conference. 
but we want a good old-fashioned Bible conference. We want somebody who's going to come and open God's Word and expound the Word of God to us. And so, a couple months later, he comes back and says, hey, we've got a speaker. And his name is Pastor Mark Wiley. He's been pastoring down in New Jersey for 35 years or longer. Uh, same church, and he, he gave me his biography, or he gave me his name, and I checked out his church, and I checked him out, and, and, and he, won the, uh, he won an alumni award last year from uh, Clark Summit University, so it was easy to check him out. Um, and yeah, he's going to be a great speaker. I trust him to stand behind this pulpit and to preach God's word to us. And that's what we need. We need to check out and make sure that the people who teach behind from this desk, or here's another one, don't get mad at me when I say this, that the people that you listen to on the radio, or the people that you turn in on Christian TV, you want to make sure that they are speaking the truth and not some nonsense. Can I tell you an inside story? And I know it's going to go out all over the, wherever it goes. I had somebody say to me, you know, and I, what I was looking for in a preacher is somebody who preaches the Bible. Stories are okay. And I said, well, that's good because I tell a lot of stories. My wife says sometimes you tell too many. But you know what? This person went on to say, but I really like when God, somebody opens the Word of God and, and says, let's look at this passage of Scripture. And I said, well, that's, you can ask anybody that goes to our church, and they'll tell you that's what you get at Calvary Baptist Church. We open a passage of Scripture, and we study that passage of Scripture. We expose it, expository preaching. We expose the text. And she says, you know, she says, I, I'm trying to think of the person that I like to listen to on the TV, and I, and I can't remember his name. his name. I said, well, is it David Jeremiah? No. Is it John MacArthur? No. She yells across. She says, hey, to her husband, what's that guy's name that we listen to on the TV? And somebody standing next to her says, is it Joel Olstein?" I'm like, oh, please no, please no. And she, that's who it is. And I'm like, and I, I'm, I'm sorry if you don't, I, I don't think that Joel Olstein uses his Bible when he stands behind his pulpit. He makes you pledge to it, and then he sets it down and doesn't open it again. So, we will not stand for that in this church. I tell you that right now. And neither has anybody else who pastored this church stood for that. We will stand and, and we will stand on the truth of the word of God and we will not turn from it. And if you think we are, please come talk to us because we need to know why you think that. All right. So we must stand for what is true. And then we also see that these Ephesian believers were not lacking in their desire to do what was right. They had a desire, they had a passion, they had a commitment to do what was right for others. Not only those who are in the church, Paul wrote to the Galatian believers and says, to those of you um, who are followers of Jesus, do what is right, do what is good, start in the household of faith, and then move out from the household of faith so that you're ministering to the needs and sharing the good news of others, to others, and, and ministering to them and doing what is right. So they did not lack in their desire to do what was right. And then last week, we just barely broke the seal on, on, on number two, where it talks about promoting the blessings from Christ. We looked at what we called the EOB, or the explanation of benefits. Um, you know, when you, get a new when you get new health insurance, they send you this EOB, explanation of benefits. This is what we cover, this is what we don't cover. And if you don't like it, too bad. Or find a different insurance company or whatever, okay? Um, but they want you to know what they're going to cover in your, for your health care. Here's the explanation of benefits that Paul gives to us for the blessings of Christ. He says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places... Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, what do we see from those, those, that statement there? Well, we see that they're complete blessings. These the spiritual blessings are, are ours because it, God gave them to us. They are complete. There's nothing lacking. They're spiritual blessings as opposed to material blessings. We also see not only are they complete blessings, but according to Paul's explanation, they are celestial blessings. In other words, these blessings come from God and not man. They're in the heavenly places where God's 
abode is. Now, God is omnipresent, but God has a place called heaven. And we're going there someday to spend eternity there with him. But God has heavenly blessings that he has poured out upon us. These blessings we receive are not to be thought of as coming from man. Man cannot give these blessings because he does not possess them in and of himself. God possesses them, so he is able to give them to us. And they are Christian blessings. These blessings are only for those who are part of the family of God. That's the only way you can be eligible to receive these blessings. Like um, when you start a new job, you have to work on that job for X number of days before they allow you to start receiving benefits. They don't want you to think that, you know, it's day one you sign up and then you're going to get your benefits and walk out the door and never come back. They want to make sure that you're committed before you start receiving blessed benefits, okay? As a child of God, you receive the benefits of God from day one. You get them the day you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, but that is the only way you get them, that you get them from being in Christ, In Christ means that you are born again, you are saved, you know Jesus as your personal Savior. There is a time in your life that you remember bowing your heart and your head before Almighty God and saying, God, I am a sinner, I understand that, I know the wages of sin is death, I know that I should be uh, separated from you for all of eternity in a place called hell, but I also know what Jesus did on the cross. He died in my place. He died so that I may have everlasting life. He died to pay the penalty of my sin. He took the wages of my sin upon himself and gave to me the opportunity to have everlasting life. And I want to accept that gift from you, God, today as my Savior. If there's not a time in your life where you've done that, then you need to seriously search your heart and make sure that you know Jesus as your Savior. I I can't do that for you. Your spouse can't do that for you. Your parents can't do that for you. You have to be certain that you've done that in your life. And if you haven't or you're questioning that, we'd love to sit down with you and talk to you. Now, as we move on, we're going to see the source of our wealth. I told you last week um, about the South African plug, all right? That's what this is, okay? It looks kind of funny, doesn't it? It looks kind of wonky. What in the world? That won't fit in my outlet. No, it won't, okay? And, and it won't because it's a three-pronged South African plug that works with 220 volts of electricity running through it to the appliance, okay? That's what this is. But it makes a great illustration, the three-pronged plug. This is kind of like the blessings that are ours, the source of our blessing. We're going to see this morning that the source of our blessing is not just limited to Jesus, but we see all three members of the triune Godhead involved in our source of blessing. We see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit. You know what? If I pull one of these plugs off, and I try to stick it in the outlet, it's not going to work. Now, if I pull this one off, it will work because it's the ground. But anyway, if you pull that out, it's not going to be safe, as safe as it could be to use. All right. So if I pull one of these two plugs out and plug it in and try to use it, it ain't working. I'm not going to get anything going to my uh, appliance. So all three things are important. You and I have this blessing from Jesus, blessing from God that involves God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're going to start off at Paul expounds on our riches in verses 4 through 6 of Ephesians chapter 1. So if you have not turned there yet, go ahead and turn and follow along. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 through 6, Paul expounds on our riches in Christ. What's the first thing he wants us to understand? He has allotted a place for us in his family. And he did this before the foundation of the world. In other words, in eternity past. You, you know what? I'm going to use something that some people might say, oh, you're not going to talk about that, are you, pastor? Election. God chose us before the foundation of the world. Well, I don't believe that, Pastor. It's right there in the text. How can you not? Yeah, but that's what those Calvinist people believe. Yeah. It is. And you know what? I've had people call me as if it were a dirty word. You're a Calvinist, aren't you? 
You know what I am? I'm a biblicist. And if what I teach you lines up with another person's philosophy, and by the way, we, we say that it's Calvinist, but poor old John Calvin, he was dead and in the grave a long time before they came up with the five points of Calvinism, okay? So when you, when you say you're a Calvinist, John Calvin only had one point. You know what point he preached and he preached and preached, and that's why it became known as, you know, they, they kind of developed these other ones off of it. He believed in the sovereignty of God, and that's what he preached. And some church council some time later came up with the five points of Calvinism to combat the five points of Arminianism. Let's just stick with what the Bible says. Okay? I don't care if you call me a Calvinist, and I don't care if you... That's a little harsh. Um, See, I sometimes say things that I have to be careful about. You know what? If you don't like it, if you don't like it, it's in the Bible. Don't get mad at me. God said it. The Holy Spirit inspired holy men of God to record the pages of Scripture. So if it's in the Bible and you got a problem with it, you got to take it up with God. I can't change it, but I'm going to preach it because here it is. Right? So he chose us before the foundation of the world. But you have to ask us, ask the question, what exactly did God choose us to? Well, Paul goes on to say he chose us to be holy. And to be holy means he chose us to be set apart from our old sinful way of life and to be set apart to that which is good and right and pure based on the standard of God. God the Father chose us. Number one in the prongs, in the source. God the Father chose us to be part of his family. He chose us to be holy. And then, get this one, this one might knock knock your socks off, okay? Hold on to them. He chose us to be without blame. Uh Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Because, you know what? There's lots of things that I can be blamed for. I helped my brother stuff my cousin into into the trunk of the car and drive through the motocross trails in a car. Well, my cousin was stuffed in the back of the trunk. That, I, I, helped, I helped do that. My fault. I'm to blame. Aren't you glad? His robes for mine is not just a song, but it's theological truth. Somebody's, my cousin Glenn, can say, he can say, Timmy helped Bradley stuff me in the back of the car. And Jesus says, I took care of that. I kept you safe in the back of that car. He bumped around quite a bit. I mean, it was the motocross trails, right? Um, but, okay, here's the truth. It was either him or me getting stuffed in the back of the car. So um, anyway, uh, so my sin has been dealt with. God's wrath that was to be poured out on me was poured out on Jesus when he hung on the cross and there is no blame to come my way now. Not because I'm a good boy. Not because I've done anything special. But because God chose me before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame in him. Not in me. But in Jesus. Oh, wow. And then it goes on. He predestined us. There's another one of those words that people will say, oh, you must be a Calvinist because you believe in predestination. Uh, and again, I'm a biblicist. And if Calvinists believe it, that's fine. Okay? He predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. Not only, did Jesus, not only did God choose me to be holy and blameless, but he determined in eternity past that we will be his sons and his daughters. The word predestined is more than just foreknowledge. It is knowing beforehand what will be, and in this case, we will be the sons of God. Equal with Jesus adopted, predestined, placed in the family of God with all the rights of a firstborn child. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, God. Simply put, Paul is telling the Ephesian believers and us that we have been placed in God's family and God chose us to be there. Adopted us. When you, when you get adopted by a family, you know what? You get their name. You get a new name. That new name is their name. You bear that name for the rest of your life. You and I bear the name of Christ for the rest of our lives. Some of those rights that we receive by being placed in the family of God, again, you've got to hold on here, they include eternal life. They include glory with the Father. Here's another amazing one. We get to call out to God and cry, Abba, Father. This word Abba, it's an endearing term. More along the lines of Daddy. We babysat, we took care of our six grandkids Wednesday, Thursday, and took them home Friday. Okay, Thursday night, Esme was, she'd had enough of not being with mommy or daddy. She's just, no, nothing happened to her, she just starts crying. What's the matter, Esme? Want my mommy. And she's going on, she didn't say I want my mother. Want my mommy. So I got her calmed down, we did this little piggy, went to the market, and she was kind of calmed down a little bit, and no more crying and as soon as I stopped doing the wee-wee-wee all the way home and tickling her, she starts crying again. What's the matter, Esme? Well, my daddy. So we went through the whole, this little pee went to the market on the other foot. And she was fine. And then Thea came and she wanted to give goodnight hugs, so I put Esme down. I said, Esme, you gotta, it's time for you to go to bed. Go see Grandma. No, more. More. More what? More. I said, no, 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 it's, it's Thea's turn. Thea's got to give hugs to Grandpa so she can go to bed. So I reached down to pick up Thea, and Esme grabs my hand and puts it under her chin because that's where I tickle her. Just, more, Grandpa, more. There's, there's something about, and I'm not her daddy, but she wanted her daddy. Grandpa was only a part-time short-term solution to not having daddy because there's something about daddy that is so much better than grandpa or anybody else you see you and i we get to call out to god and not just call him father but abba father daddy there's that term of endearment there's that term of closeness there's that term that says there's nobody else that takes that place just my daddy who lives in heaven and who has chosen me before the foundation of the world. I remember reading a t-shirt one time that said, anyone can be a father, but it takes someone special to be a daddy. You see, part of the results of our adoption is that we can call God daddy because we have that special relationship with him. There's nothing like it. Listen to what MacArthur, John MacArthur says in his New Testament commentary. He sums it up quite nicely. He says, to be saved is to have the very life of God in our souls. His own spirit enlivening our spirit. Human parents can adopt children and come to love them every bit as much as they love their natural children. They can give an adopted child complete equality in the family, resources, and inheritance. But no human parent can impart his own distinct nature to an adopted child. Yet, that is what God miraculously chose, does to every person whom he elected and who has trusted in Christ. He makes them sons, excuse me, just like his divine son. Christians not only have all the son's riches and blessings, but are you ready for this? But they also have the son's nature. Wow, that is amazing. There's nothing else better than that. We go on. He has made us accepted in the beloved. Not only has he adopted us 
and allotted us a place in his family, but he made us accepted in the beloved. This word accepted, when we think of this word, it may indicate that we are allowed or tolerated. Okay, I'll accept that. You didn't do a great job on your homework, but I'm going to accept it as being turned in because you're at least giving me what you did. I'm going to accept that. That's not this idea of acceptance, okay? God isn't just like, okay, I guess I'll let you. You haven't done everything right. You haven't done... That's not it. Here, accepted means to be honored because of his grace as a result of his atoning work on Calvary. We are accepted or we are honored as part of the beloved. Not just, oh, well, I guess I'll let you in because I need a few more in. You know, it's like, being picked for sides in a baseball game in the playground. You never want to be picked last, right? Because that's, well, he's, he or she's not very good, but somebody's got to pick him, so I guess I'm stuck with him because uh, the last person left uh, standing over there on the other side. Honored. We're in God's hall of fame, if you will. Accepted in the beloved. What does the word beloved mean? Well, it's the result of being like him. We are part of the beloved. The children of God are honored alongside of Jesus. This is my, what? My beloved son. God says that about us too. We are in his beloved. Wow. How amazing is that? Are you ready for prong number two? Our riches are extended from the Son in verses 7 through 12. We need to know that if it weren't for the Son, if it weren't for Jesus, there'd be no riches. But because of the Son, we, because the Son was willing to follow the Father's plan, these amazing riches are ours. We, we just finished looking at the fact that we've been allotted a place, we've been adopted, and we've been accepted. These are some pretty impressive things that we have because of what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. And those things in and of themselves would be enough, but it doesn't stop there. It gets even better. Let's keep discovering what is ours as the second prong of the source of our blessings. We see redemption through His blood. Number one, I have been redeemed. You know what redeemed means, right? We've been bought back. What were we bought back from? We were bought back out of the slave market of sin. You see, God created Adam and Eve perfect and holy. They were not in bondage to sin. They chose to turn away from God and walk away from God and be separated from God in their choice, their willful, deliberate choice to eat of the fruit that he told them not to eat of. And in that act, all of us became separated from God. You say, well, that's not fair. Lest you think that's true, can I ask you a question? Has there been a day in your life where you haven't sinned? Nope. You know what? If it were Tim in the garden and not Adam in the garden, and it were Barb in the garden and not Eve in the garden, we would have done the same thing. Because we like to please ourselves. I mean, Satan comes along and says, hey, listen to me. You know what? I got something for you. You know, you, 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 you know this God that... You, that created you? Has he said? Did he really say that you can't eat from every tree in the garden? Casting doubt upon who God is. And, and so she begins to think about, mm, well, yeah, he did. He said, don't eat of it and don't even touch it, adding to God's word, which we shouldn't do, lest we die. And Satan went on to try to convince her. You, you know, he really doesn't want you to eat of the fruit because he knows, God knows, the moment you eat of the fruit, you're going to become just like him. Oh, wait a minute. I can become a god? You know what? He hasn't changed his approach since that day in the garden. He's trying to get people to look out just for themselves. Want what they want. Want what they think is best for them. To doubt what God says is best for us. But God provided redemption for us 
through the blood of Jesus Christ, from the slave market of sin. We were all there. We're born in that slave market. And then somebody communicates probably multiple times to us the need of salvation, the fact that Jesus died, paid for the penalty of your sins, and wants you to be part of his family. He wants you back. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance to receive the redemption that is available to them. God the Father redeemed us through the blood of Jesus Christ. He bought us back out of our sinful slave market and He paid the price, the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And then He gives to us also the remission of sins. The remission of sins. You see, sometimes I think that the idea of forgiveness is beyond our understanding. It's something that without Christ would be impossible for anyone to have. None of us could receive the forgiveness of our sins if it weren't for Jesus Christ. And here's something else. You can't forgive unless you have the blood of Jesus Christ and the work of Christ as an example of forgiveness running through your life. That's why we have the problems we have in society. One of the things people struggle with is to forgive. And believe me, forgiving is not forgetting. When somebody says, you've got to forgive and forget. No, you don't. You forgive and you choose not to dwell on the wrong that was done to you. God doesn't forget. He can't forget. He's perfect. But he chooses not to bring it up again. The forgiveness of sins. And then he also gives to us the ability of reasoning and refinement. God has blessed us with these incredible gifts. He bestowed upon us wisdom and understanding, as the text says. The ability to reason from a biblical perspective or wisdom has to do with understanding those things that are really important. Things like heaven and hell, life and death, eternity, righteousness. And how to have meaning in life. That is the reasoning that God gives to a child of His when they know Jesus as their Savior. The refinement or the understanding refers to the practical knowledge about everyday living. Since our goal is to please God or become like Jesus in all things, we should be making decisions and choices with that goal in mind. If we are, then we're going to seek God's guidance before making our decisions. And He will help us make wise choices, make good choices, make the right choices. When I think about refining, I think about gold and silver. I can suppose you could throw oil in there too, but who wants to ref- I mean, we have to have it, but it's not the prettiest looking thing in the world, is it? Gold and silver, shiny. And, and so, um, how do these things become shiny? And, and, and pretty looking. piece of gold, when you take it out of the ground, I mean, you, you might know what it is. You might be surprised. You might be fooled by fool's gold. But how do they tell if it's not fool's gold? They throw it in the fire. They throw the fool's gold right in the fire right alongside the real stuff. And you know what happens to the fool's gold? It's called dross. It melts and the dirtiness of it all floats to the surface. And the, and the good stuff, the, the real gold, it also melts. And the, all the impurities that are in the gold or in the silver, it floats to the top. And then they scoop it off and they throw it away. It's refined now. It's perfect. It's pure. It's one, well, it's not one, it's 14 carat or it's 20, whatever, the highest, 9 carat or whatever it is. 24 karat, whatever the highest rate is. They get rid of all the impurities and they make it and they shape it into whatever it is that you're paying for. Refine. God refines us. He, he helps us understand what is right. He helps us become what is pure and holy before Him. You know what this refining process does? It reveals the truth. That's bad stuff, that's good stuff. That's a child of God, that's not. He goes on, he also says that we have the opportunity to understand the mystery of his will. 
I believe that Paul is talking about two things here. He's talking first about the gospel message and the impact of this wonderful message. Think about it for a minute. What has the gospel done? Well, according to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, the gospel has, number one, abolished death. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And then look at verse 10. For now we have has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. That's what the gospel does for us. The truth of God's word, understanding the mystery of his will, abolishes death. I will never, ever, if, I, if you know Jesus Christ, you will never, ever be separated from God. You will not die. You will live forever. Not only did he abolish death, but he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Life and immortality. To light through the gospel message. It's pretty amazing that God gave these things to us. At the right moment in time, God has worked all things out according to his plan. And when they all come into place in our lives, and we let the authority of Jesus Christ rule in our lives, we come to know Jesus and fully know him and appreciate what he has done. Let me clarify this mystery for you. MacArthur again says, But history belongs to God, not to the puny plans of man or the perverse power of Satan. History is written and directed by its creator, who will see it through to the fulfillment of his own ultimate purpose. The summing up of all things in Christ. He designed his great plan in the ages past, He now sovereignly works it out according to his divine will and in the fullness of time he will complete and perfect in his son in whom it will forever operate in righteous harmony and glorious newness along with all things in the heavens and all things upon the earth. You see my friends, God has helped us understand that he is the sovereign, loving creator and planner of our lives. And then he says we are the recipients of an inheritance. (coughs) Excuse me. What do we inherit? Well, our status is seen in our glorification or our ultimate sanctification, our Christ-likeness, if you will. If we were to stop here or only have this much, we would consider ourselves extremely wealthy, right? But it's important to understand and see that all these, why these things happen to us. Verse 12 says that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the what? To the praise of His glory. You and I have the opportunity to praise God and glorify Him. Let's quickly wrap up this with verses 13 and 14. And we see our riches experienced through the Spirit. That's the third prong of the plug. We're talking about the Holy Spirit here. Um, What does the Holy Spirit do for the child of God? You know, if if you study out the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is not as mystical as we might make Him out to be. The Scripture is pretty clear as to the ministries of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, he, <clears throat> he provides for our sealing. Okay? We are being sealed. Um, this is through the Holy Spirit's work in our life. The theological word book of the New Testament explains being sealed like this. It's a pledge until the day of redemption, when we meet Jesus face to face. In sealing believers with his spirit, God makes them his own possession. And that's why Jesus said, and no man can pluck them out of my Father's hands. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit has sealed us there. You aren't going anywhere. You are in the hands of our Father because of the Holy Spirit. We see that the Holy Spirit is the surety or the guarantee of our inheritance. The King James, the authorized version, reads like this, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Guarantee and earnest are the same thing. In today's language, we would use the word earnest um, It'd be similar to a pledge given to ensure payment. 
The dictionary defines earnest this way. It says, something of value given by the buyer to the seller to bind a bargain. Now, we live in an age where cash is king or a check that's supposed to represent cash. So your earnest, your, your guarantee is your down payment. You can say you're going to buy the house, but until you put the money down, that deal ain't going through. You got to put the money down. You got to you got to have a guarantee. You got to have a surety, if you will. You see, God gave the Holy Spirit to His children, kind of like a pledge. The Spirit is the earnest or the guarantee that we are going to receive the rest of the promise when the time is right. What does Paul say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6? Being confident of this very thing, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus face to face, the surety, the inheritance, the Holy Spirit will not be needed for us to live righteous and holy anymore because we'll be in the presence of the Father through the Son. Done. Finished. Complete. Like Jesus. Becker says it this way, he says, The Spirit as the present earnest of our future inheritance guarantees our complete final salvation. In other words, eternal communion with God. That's a blessing beyond what I think we can fully understand and comprehend at this point. We have such a lot, and I'm not going to go through and review all of it. We've already done that, but would you agree with me that we are blessed we are blessed beyond measure. We, are, we, we, are the, we have the potential of being uh, the, the representation of God in this world. When we lived in South Africa, we had friends who, you ask them, how are you doing today? Oh, too blessed to stress. Yeah, too blessed. When we think about all these things, there's no reason for us to stress. Too blessed to stress. There's a song that I really like, and it comes on the radio. I, I, it's one of those songs that I just sit in the car and listen to until it's done, okay? There's not all the songs are like that, but this is a peppy little song. Um, it's written by and sung by Cain. Uh, if you haven't heard of them, you may want to go home and listen to it afterwards. You just Google the song. It's called, I'm So Blessed. Let me read the lyrics for you quickly. I'm so blessed. Hallelujah, I'm blessed. I'm so blessed. Trouble knocking at my door today, I ain't going to let it in. And worry want to steal my joy away, but I ain't going to let it win. Because on my best day, get this, on my best day, I'm a child of God. On my worst day, I'm a child of God. Oh, every day is a good day, and you're the reason why. I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed, got this heartbeat in my chest. No, it doesn't matter about the rest. If I got you, Lord, I'm so blessed. And when I count the problems that I see, hope looks all but gone. But when I count the ways you're good to me, you got me counting all day long. Oh yeah, I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed, got this heartbeat in my chest. But when I count the ways you're good to me, you got me counting all day long. Doesn't matter about the rest, I've got you, Lord. I'm so blessed. You, you ought to Google that song and listen to it. And it, you know what? Every time I listen to that song, it, I just, it's like, yeah, got this heartbeat in my chest. It's God's heartbeat. It's the heartbeat of the Holy Spirit. Boom, 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 boom. It's God working in my life and reminding me how blessed I am. I'm so blessed. You and I are blessed, so blessed that we, we don't really understand how blessed we are. And you know what? All of the blessings is not dependent on man, it's not dependent on me, but it's completely accomplished through the work of our great God on the cross of Calvary and in our lives every day. Heavenly Father, whew, you are good to us. You are a good, good Father. And, and you take all of our life, you've planned it out for us, and as we yield to you, as we submit to you, as we let you work in our hearts and in our lives and in our minds, and, and you form us more and more into the image of, our, of your Son and our Savior, we understand how blessed we are. This morning we want to say thank you, um, but, but that's probably not enough just to say thank you. 
Father, Paul is asking the Ephesian believers, when they look at how blessed they are, to simply give their lives to Christ. Not for salvation, because that's already done. That's why we're blessed. But simply give our lives to Christ for His service, for Him to use as He sees fit. So, Father, may we say more than just thank you. May we express our gratitude by presenting ourselves to you as a living sacrifice that you can use, holy and acceptable. It's the only reasonable thing for us to do. Father, thank you again for the inheritance that you have given to us through your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.